Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, classical things, classical education, and... Anything else? Stuff. And stuff. And hi. Okay. And what? we are your <laughs> about pie? three oh, said, and funny hi. teachers who hi. love old stuff and come to you every week yep. with things to talk about from the classical world. Yep. Um... In all seriousness, classical education is a very exciting thing in the world of education, in the world of Christian education. There was actually, I think, like a Christianity Today article that came out recently talking about... About classical education? About classical... I think the the clickbaity title was something like, Will Classical Education... Or Classical Education is Transforming Christianity, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Sadly, we were not quoted. But uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, your quote didn't um, make it, is what you're uh, saying. Yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah. I called you about it. Yeah, but my, it just didn't um, include the it, quote. It just didn't get in there. Anyway, so, next my time. name is Graham Donaldson, and I am here with my colleagues and beloved brothers, uh, Arthur Yon, AJ Hannenberg. That's me. Thanks for um, that extra. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to make it sure. No, 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 Arthur. What if you're wondering. <laughs> anyway, what, what a I'm, weird way to do that. Being okay. formal. So what? So what's my name? Thomas Fletcher. TF, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this I I will not appreciate making this reference, so I apologize. Uh, TFM, does that uh, acronym mean anything to you all? Nope. The, the freaking moon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, th- this moment has probably passed. That used to be uh, a popular acronym. Total frat move. TFM. Anyway, oh that, no. Anyway, so um, I'm glad I'm glad we've passed pa- gone past that moment. Oh uh, yeah. This is not. I, I don't know what you're no, talking not about. Even, I'm not vaguely cold. Great. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Good. Anyway, I'm from. A place where fraternities don't exist in Canada. Are there no fraternities in Canada? Mm-hmm. And AJ all? is a man of culture. Yeah, so he's a. I'm sure he's a part of a fraternal order. Yeah. No, can't. I did live in a house that wanted to be a frat but couldn't be a frat, so we just gave ourselves Greek letters and pretended we were a frat. Mm. It's close enough. It doesn't exist in Canada at, at all. all. Really? That's anything? So I mean, I'm sure there are like Societies houses that put right? Greek letters in front of them, but right. the people that join it were like, "I watched a movie about American college, and I want to join that." But at the University of Toronto, it's like. You and the other people who watch that same movie—it's mm-hmm. pretty sad. It's not a—it's mm. not a thing. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, shout out to my Delta Kappa Chi boys. <laughs> but Thomas, okay, I, I feel they listen to this podcast. Oh heavens, no. Okay, good. Yeah, Thomas, I have an urge to rebuild a broken structure. <laughs> good. And also to eschew all worldly goods. Wow, good. Is there somebody that I could look to that would give me a? way to structure that that nope. desire absolutely no one sorry this is gonna be a really short episode then oh oh Woof. Uh, no, bummer no actually of course there is so today w- w- this is what graham is referencing we're gonna be talking about saint francis saint francis okay so i talked about this before on the episode on saint augustine but the i'm at Veritas Academy, the school where all three of us work, there are four houses that all students are placed into when they enter the high school. And so I, I'm going to spend four episodes going into who these people are and like why they're important and why they're great. So you can go back and listen to the one on St. Augustine. It was probably six or seven episodes ago at this point. Today we're going to do St. Francis. Now, thankfully, we have the dean of this house, Graham Donaldson. Hello. So the, this 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 fount of knowledge on St. Francis. So I'll just... Oh, woof. <laughs> so actually, I'll We're just... We're just passing it to you, yeah, Graham. I hope you're prepared. <laughs> so you, you ready for you, yeah, you your... Do the first, yeah, you take the first 40 minutes, I'll take the back 20. Does that, does that sound good to you? Or? <laughs> um, sure. <No. laughs> I have one funny St. Francis story that maybe didn't make it into your research that I can share. This is the one about him taking his clothes off? Uh, no, it's okay. the one about him... Um, um, going to 
Egypt. Uh, is that the crusade part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in there. Oh, sorry. You can tell that story okay. when we get to that part. No, it's okay. I don't want to steal your thunder. No, it's fine. So the most of, I guess if by most, I mean all of this comes from uh, GK Chesterton's biography of St. Francis appropriately titled St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. It's a great book. Highly recommend that. This is not a book review because I've never done a book review, but you should definitely go. <laughs> Tom, read that I book. feel okay. Thomas, I, I apologize for saying your podcasts are book reviews because you're right. All of our podcasts are book reviews. I feel like this is, but anyway, that was a comment from like 50 episodes ago. I know, so, but anyway, what's that about? Apparently anyway. it's made, it's left an indelible impression. <laughs> I hate books. Is that all I'm trying to say? Great. I never do book reviews. Okay. So let's talk about St. Francis. What, do you think that's lightning? What do you no, think? it's a rolly. Oh, cart. A rolly cart. Around. Okay. Super professional we are. Okay, St. Francis. Let's uh, let's kick off with what we know about the guy. Who is this <clears throat> Who is this man? He was the son of a wealthy merchant. It's true. Who, or a wealthy, like, um, um, who did clothing, like who did silk. fabrics. Yeah, silk. Yeah. Silk. Yeah, silk clothing. He grew up in Italy. Yeah. Talked to his stuffed animals when he was young. Talked to stuffed animals. That's exactly right. Seriously? No. I mean, well, that's why he later talked to real animals. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm just kidding. Kidding. Um, he did talk to real animals. Uh, yeah, he did was, talk a, to real was a soldier as a young man in the wars between the city states. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which city states. Prussia and. Is this one? the Guelph Ghibelline thing or is that completely different? It's Dante, isn't it? I don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah, it's Dante. Yeah. Um, they named his city uh, after how. People would make fun of him. They named it after how sissy. He's, because he's a sissy. Well done. Thank you. I was like, wait, how's that work? Um, that was a bad joke. I'm sorry, a, I apologize, I listeners. I had to think I, about that. I, no, it was good. It was good. Had a dramatic conversion, had a vision of rebuilding a church, uh-huh. took it literally, mm-hmm. but then realized oh, maybe God meant it figuratively. What an interesting point. Um, okay. What else? Um, uh, and, it, and sort of inaugurated a new holy order into the church that... Uh, some even, uh, I remember when I was first being taught, uh, about St. Francis was that b- because of, he had such a reformer mentality towards the corruptions of the church, um, or the excesses of the church that it kind of start continued or started the ball rolling of, of wanting to reform the church. And then maybe that went, went poorly, yeah, went poorly. Yeah. After, yeah. after, after he died, after he died, then yeah. there was, yeah, there was a bunch of heretics. Yeah. The. Fred, Fredicelli. Fredicelli. Yeah, yeah. So that went. Which sounds like, like when you're in an Italian restaurant and it's oh, one of those dishes and yeah. you're like, oh man. <laughs> the the, yeah, I'll take the Fredicelli. Or the fettuccine. Yeah. yeah I can't, I can't remember what the Fredicelli noodle looks like. <laughs> Is that the one that looks like a shell? <laughs> <laughs> or the little squiggles. Yeah. It's kind of like all Italian words though, isn't it? The big stick tube. <laughs> I like that. Those ones hold the sauce the all best. filled with cheese. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think all Italian words end up sounding like a food, but I dig it. Okay, cool. So, sure. Wow. Ferrari. Called? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my favorite. Mm, my favorite. I'm, I am slowly, very, very slowly learning Italian through Duolingo. So that's been my one <clears throat> observation. Duolingo is getting Latin. Duolingo has Latin. But Duolingo is getting like the, it's in the Latin, it's in beta right now. Correct. But it's on there. You can oh, sign man, up for it now. I'm so stoked. Yeah. Just do it. Sign up. All right, I'm okay. going to tune you out for a little bit. It's okay, you do that anyway. Okay, so uh, at least you'll be doing something productive. Okay, so uh, St. Uh, Francis... Agricola, agricolas. <laughs> I feel like um, tuning out means... Anyway, whatever. Thank you for... What's a, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when you say agricola, I think of the board game. What does that word actually mean? Huh? Agricola means uh-huh. farmer. Farmer, that makes sense. It's a board game about farming. I got it on my mind, if I'm being farmer. Because you are a farmer, mm-hmm. indeed. Okay, so... 
St. Francis, born in the late 12th century. He, um, we, we already talked about this. He's born to a silk merchant. Uh, that is Pietro uh, Maradone. That's my wonderful Italian accent. Um, so uh, you, we've already covered all this, that he is born into this life of wealth and some kind of like presumed success might be the right word for it, that he will father, he will follow in his father's footsteps, uh, but he has to kind of prove himself first. And that's where we get into these like uh, military stories that Graham is talking about. Um, there are, so just to mention um, Ch- Chesterton's biography of St. Francis is not I'd say it's probably about half actually the story of St. Francis and half like reflections on the story of St. Francis. Welcome to Chesterton. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Does it meander by any chance? (laughs) Quite deeply. Is he sort of all over the place? He also, and he he repeats over and over the same like verbal um, pattern of, he he will introduce a paradox to say Francis was not this, but he was this, but he does it like 10 times. Mm Which, which is endearing and, and wonderful, but just to say, Francis was not a manly man, but he was a man of men. And you're like, oh, what? <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah, because the first time he does it, you're like, oh wow, and then you got one. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like Chesterton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought uh, AJ was going to have one too, but yeah, it, we he, love Chesterton. Just for those who are listening, we love him. But Chesterton is like espresso. I can only have one cup. I want to have more. Yeah, but if I do, I I get weird. Yeah. I think we've talked about before. I had a hard time getting through orthodoxy when we read that as a Veritas book group, however long ago that was. And so for my first time through the St. Francis biography was an audiobook, and I found it just delightful to listen to, to have a British man mm. read to me his thoughts on St. <clears throat> Francis. That would make sense. So maybe try that if reading the book itself is too much for you. Uh, dear, dear listener. Okay. So, um, so, Speaking of meandering, Chesterton opens his biography not by like starting with the life of, or the birth of St. Francis, because that would make too much sense, but he spends time um, drawing out what the, he says that no biography of St. Francis could actually start at that point, because Francis was not just about himself, it was about his time, whatever that means. So um, so what is happening around the life of St. Francis that um, that matters to him? Um, it was the year 12... What? What's, what's his year? 1181. 1181. Oh, okay. 1181 or 1182. Okay. Somewhere around there. That's when he was born? Yeah. Okay. So he was sort of kicking around doing his thing in the tw- in like early 1200s? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying this was before cell phones? Before. Just a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Good. A little bit. We have oriented ourselves. This is wonderful. Okay. Uh, Chesterton says, the reader cannot even begin to see the sense of a story that may well seem to him a very wild one until he understands that to this great mystic, his religion was not a thing like a theory, but a thing like a love affair. We'll get into the details of what makes Francis like that. I guess I'll save that quote for a while. Um, he spends time, uh, Chesterton spends time talking about um, um, just a kind of a sense of oldness that the church had at this time, that any kind of authentic faith was not generally valued or important or necessary. He has, uh, uh, the creed was still being repeated after the victory or escape, but it is, is not unnatural to suppose that there was something a little monotonous about the repetition. The church looked old then as now, and there were some who thought her dying as now. In truth, orthodoxy was not dead, but it may have been dull. It is certain that some people began to think it dull. Um, so that's this is the context he's born into. And in this, again, Francis is born into a life where religion is around his life, but is not particularly important to him. Um, Graham referenced the story before. Um, one day, uh, 
St. Francis is walking by. He's just like walking around, and he walks by a church. Where did my um, like a like a ruined church, a rundown abbey, or something? Yeah, exactly. And so, as he's walking by this, he he, he himself is not thinking anything of it, but he. Um, Here's a voice, and that voice tells him, Francis, seest thou not that my house is in ruins? Go and restore it for me. Um, so I guess we'll do it this way. I have three stories about St. Francis. We'll go through each of these and then talk about what they, I don't know, what's interesting about them. So Francis sees this uh, rundown church, and he wants to fix it. He, again, what Graham said, takes literally that statement so he goes and he takes some of his dad's stuff he takes some of his dad's horses and some of his dad's like silk against his father's knowledge right Doesn't his father has it? no idea this is yeah. happening and francis goes and sells all those things and then um uh, with the intention of using that money toward buying stuff for this church um francis's father understandably is upset by this and so it has him like thrown into like a jail essentially i think it's like under the house there's some details about it anyway he uh wait he threw into a jail under their own house yeah so he uh, he's you don't you didn't have that yeah is that not normal basement Fra- jail yeah <laughs> why not in the northwest yeah but you know normal, here it's yeah, hard to yeah. build a basement well street. you know central italy maybe that's uh, more normal but he uh francis is locked up for a few days uh francis's father then pulls him out takes him in front of the local bishop and tells the bishop hey make my son apologize for what he did and the bishop does act, does make him apologize for that, mostly because what Francis did was, in fact, wrong. Yeah, he took his dad's yeah, stuff. Yeah, he took his dad's stuff. Theft. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the bishop says, hey, Francis, you should apologize for this. And Francis's response, which uh, is, a, anyway, you all have heard me talk about this in assembly. It's a thing that's been bouncing my, around my head since I first came upon the story. But this is Francis's response. He stood up before them all and said, up to this time, I have called Pietro Bernardone father, but now I am the servant of God. Not only the money, but everything that can be called his, I will restore to my father, even the very clothes he has given me. And he rent off all his garments, except one, and they saw that it was a hair shirt. So that, yeah, so Graham's heard of her, uh, I think the version of the story Graham has said is that he doesn't have anything on, right? Yeah. Okay. But the, this version that's told is the origin of where the Franciscan outfit comes from, that the that like brown looking robe thing that you see mm. that that's what that's all he had left on that's all he like had for himself as he um rent off his garments so he does that he piled the garments in a heap on the floor and threw the money on top of them so he does return the money then he turned to the bishop and received his blessing like one who turns his back on society and according to the account went out as he was into the cold world apparently it was literally a cold world at the moment and snow was on the ground a curious detail, very deep in its significance, I fancy, is given in the same account of this great crisis in his life. He went out half-naked in his half in his hair shirt into the winter woods, walking the frozen grounds between the frosty trees, a man without a father. He was penniless, he was parentless, he was to all appearance without a trade or a plan or a hope in the world, and as he went under the frosty trees, he burst suddenly into song. Hmm. So as he is losing all of his success, as he is losing everything that would guarantee for him a comfortable life, his reaction isn't despair. His reaction isn't sadness. His reaction is to burst into song. He is a bit of a hippie. He is a hippie. St. Francis. <laughs> well, that's what, I mean. <laughs> no, it's true. Let's, let's follow that a little bit. Like, uh, no, I could, I could, no I, but even that. so, like, though, there was a movie that was made in the late 60s or early 70s about the life of St. Francis, mm-hmm. but they're definitely, like, recasting him as... 
like a hippie, mm-hmm. the way that we have hippies in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it? Uh, brother, son, father, sister, moon, or something like that? That's, that's, the, name that's, of the, that's the name of the movie. Interesting. Okay. And um, I've never seen it, but um, I remember I've just heard people talk about it, and it's it's less about St. Francis and more about like hippies. Mm-hmm. And like, we can be hippies too, Catholics. I don't know. It, it, it was more of a, like, a movie that was about its own time that it was made as opposed to the life, uh, um, some sort of life of St. Francis. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Do you think we should dress less less flashy? There we go. Sure. Do you think that I'm... I... You're just too classy a gentleman? I don't know. I, I sometimes think about this. Sometimes I think like I should just b- b- only wear like white shirts and black pants or just have like... Uh, a whole closet of of the same simple clothes. I think I think you're doing us all a favor when you dress that up. <laughs> what does what does that mean? You mean my body? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Thank you. Okay. okay. I mean, it just makes it a little easier to look at. Oh, oh, I appreciate that. So it's less miserable. But to maybe like, my oh, ugliness. Should we, uh, yeah, that was. A, but maybe was my bar, ugliness but. is a uh, it can help is a sanctifying force. Like, you're reminded <laughs> of like what age can do. <laughs> okay, great. Anyway, should we dress simpler? No matter your reason for wanting to do yeah. that, right? Yeah, I know. I know. So, um, but maybe this is <clears throat> great. So, Graham, your joking question off the bat was, I want to live an ascetic life. Do I have an example for me? And there's one way of telling the story of St. Francis where you say, yes, there is an example of someone who turned their back on all the success, all the stuff, and was was happy. And you can tell that story in a way to totally miss the point. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's what you're saying mm-hmm. in that movie that you're referencing. So, sure, you could dress more simply. Why do you want to dress more simply? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Exactly. The, mo- the most common version of it is, um, wasn't it? I think it was President Obama who only has one out, one type of outfit that he wears. He has, you know, twenty version, twenty um, sets of it, but it's, you know, it's it's the same suit that he has twenty times over. That one time he wore that tan suit. Remember that tan suit? <laughs> was that, a was a, that was a that was a huge deal. Yeah. President wore a tan really? suit to yeah. like a, a yeah. meeting, and people were like, "Whoa, what's he doing?" Yeah. Like, but the reason what are you a ferry boat captain <laughs> catch more flies with honey is that what that is but the but you the catch re- more honeys about being fly i don't understand what's happening right. i don't like this at all um but the reason given for that is to uh the reason given for that is to limit your energy expended in making a decision it's not like yeah the, the purpose of it is to like make you happier not anything beyond that yeah so that doesn't make it a bad choice to dress simpler, though. I don't know. If we were... I think if you're doing it to draw attention, it it comes to the same, like... To your simplicity? Yeah, just... It, it sounds to me like letting everyone know that you're fasting mm-hmm. with an yeah. email blast, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then that... Um, I'll stop doing that, too. Could you please? <laughs> that would be wonderful. But, I've been meaning to talk to you about your email blasts. Yeah. But that doesn't... But still, his example is to leave those things behind him there's, mm-hmm. again there's something uh, so it's the hardcoreness of francis that always is like, appealing right is appealing and always like freaks me out yeah but that's and part of it is funny <clears throat> that you're the dean of the house of francis because francis was not particularly intellectual <laughs> right and you are that's what i say is the funny part what, uh, you are you whatever stop so uh, so dresser. What's that? A flaunter of wealth. Okay, great. So, yeah, so you are immoral in all the way. No, I'm just saying, sorry. But yeah, Francis was not like particularly well-read. He, um, I think, somewhat notoriously did not see the value in reading a whole lot when he had God and mm-hmm. had the Bible. Like, he didn't need a lot more than that. So 
there's a simplicity there. Anyway, you are very different from St. Francis. It's true. Um, is all that to say. Okay. I dig it. All right. Let's can, I should have been the house of Thomas Aquinas. I, we, why anyway, Aquinas would be a wonderful house. Francis is great too. Francis is great as well. Some students make jokes about there being in house of Thomas Aquinas for how much I reference Thomas Aquinas. So I think I'd be okay with that. Okay. So where, what other stories do we see of St. Francis? So, um, uh, um, I, Donaldson, I guess I made reference to this before in it's public formal. and pointed this to you. Um, did you ever end up, there's a story about him in a market. Did you ever end up looking the story? I up? did not. Okay, good. Mm-mm. So this one, I will attempt to bounce around in so that I don't, um, otherwise it's a big block of text, but one of the earliest glimpses we have of him shows him as simply selling bales of cloth from a booth in the market, which his mother may or may not have believed to be one of the habits of princes. The first glimpse of the young man in the market is symbolic in more ways than one. An incident occurred, which is perhaps the shortest and sharpest summary that could be given of a certain curious thing, uh, which were a part of his character long before it was transfig- transfigured by transcendental faith. While he was selling velvet and fine embroideries to some uh, to some merchant of the town, a beggar came imploring alms, evidently in a somewhat tactless manner. It was rude. It was a rude and simple society that, that and there were no laws to punish a starving man for expressing his need for food, such as have been established in a more humanitarian age. Isn't that good? I thought that was. Mm-hmm. And the lack of any organized police permitted such persons to pester the wealthy without any great danger. Um. So anyway, he's talking with the merchant. This um, fellow who has no money is asking for money. It's viewed as rude that he's interrupting their conversation because he's hungry. Um, anyhow, Francis was evidently torn two ways uh, with the botheration of two talkers, but finished his business with the merchant somehow. And when he had finished it, found the beggar was gone. Francis leapt from his booth, left all the bales of velvet and embroidery behind him, apparently unprotected, and went racing across the marketplace like an arrow from the, from the bow. Still running, he threaded the labyrinth of the narrow and crooked streets of the little town, looking for his beggar, whom he eventually discovered, and loaded the astonished mendicant with money. Then he straightened himself, so to speak, and swore before God that he would never all his life refuse to help re- refuse help to a poor man. The sweeping simplicity of this undertaking is extremely characteristic. Never was any man so little afraid of his own promises. His life was one riot of rash vows, of rash vows that turned out right. So this is before he is like actually Christian or saved, but they're just these glimpses of him um, being someone who is giving, who's willing to make bold promises like that. There's something I, um, in this that I'm, I want to pose to you all. So um, when we at a classical stool, school talk about the liberal arts, we call them that because they make a man free. Mm-hmm. And there's something in Francis that is free, that he is not slave to wealth or his family and is willing to turn his back on those for a greater good. Um, he definitely has the temperament, an extreme temperament. He has a, ten, a temperament of um, um, basically just not caring about what people think of him. Yep. Um, the, um, I don't know if it's not a criticism because you wouldn't criticize him for this because of ultimately what he did, but um, it is incredibly difficult to also think about the abandoning him abandoning his family. Mm, sure. Um, 
uh, or incredibly sad to think that he saw himself in this position where loyalty to family and loyalty to God were now incompatible. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a rough that's a rough decision to have to make. I don't think he necessarily cooked that up, though. I don't think he cooked it up either. His father. I mean, yeah. when if my kid stole, I don't know, stole my truck and sold it to help repair a church, I'd be probably a little hacked. But at least it was for a good He's not cause. going to basement jail? Lock you up. No, yeah. I'm not going to put him in basement jail. I'm going to say, look, man, next time you want to help out a church, just give me a holler. Just, you know, <laughs> tell me before you sell my fair, Chevy. Fair, right? fair. Right? I, I think his father was had an idea of what he wanted Francis to turn out to be, and Francis had contrary mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I think it seems like he had a lot of co- ideas contrary to the practical wisdom of the age, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Don't of leave course. your booth. Mm-hmm. Don't lay, you know, give a whole bunch of money to a poor man. Don't do all these things, right? Yep. I don't know. I, I really like that he is not burdened with the mores of his time. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what I'm, what I'm, 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 what I'm curious about is would we appreciate people following this example? So he is stepping on. Oh, well, so, I think so we always nice appreciate it in retrospect, but when <laughs> but, it's but the in guy the moment. in the moment, yeah. you're not, you don't appreciate it. Or at least I don't appreciate or maybe, it. Maybe uh, there are maybe two ways to phrase it. There's that, but maybe the other way is, so I gave a, uh, so we have, we have a, a, a monthly chapel for our students. And during the chapel, I, I brought in that story of Francis uh, cutting ties with his father. And I was, talking with um, someone else at the school about that before getting up on stage to do that. And he was saying, he was like worried about you are going to put this example in front of students, right? You're going to give students an out for them, like disrespecting their parents by being able to say, uh, I'm actually doing it. I'm like serving God by dishonoring my parents. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. So then I'm just, I'm wondering if, is there something dangerous in Francis that actually shouldn't be replicated? How old was Francis? I can try and figure when that he out. he did that. Because mm. I feel like that's a big... So when would it be okay for him to have done that? <laughs> I think that vow might be rash when you're 16, mm-hmm. but reasonable when you're 24. Like to, to, leave, to leave parents. Because at I, I feel that in those early years, 16, 17, 18, you you tend to have little mercy for your elders. Mm. You feel like you know what's right and wrong and you haven't lived long enough to see your own failings really take root and wreak havoc in the world. Mm. And so you, I don't know, I think as you grow, you have a little bit of a little bit more mercy for the failings of people older than you because you have begun to see your own as you grow. And so when you hit 24, your family has really had a chance to give you, give you the room to go out and do what you want to do. Yeah. If you're 24 and they're still not letting you follow God how you want to follow God, it's, it seems like that's an appropriate time to break ties. But to rashly break ties with your family at 16 because maybe you misunderstood what your dad is trying, the, the virtues your dad is trying to instill in you, that seems a little bit rash to me. It, if I'm looking at these dates correctly, it would, he, would, he is at least 22. He's probably 23 or 24 at yeah. the youngest and could be slightly older than that. Yeah, that happened. sounds to me like... You know, you're you're already supposed to be graduated college, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 time. It's yep. time to sort of pave your own way. And if your parents are still resisting your desire to follow God as a vocation, I think yep. at that point it might be appropriate to say like, well, it's time to go do something else. Yeah, and I and I cut some of the sections from Chesterton's account where it's made more clear that Pietro Bernardone is not not only not Christian, but like opposed to supporting Christianity. Yeah. So there you go. yeah, it's more, yeah, there are reasons for the split between the two, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. again, what I'm, we can see this with 
800 years later and, uh, and able to like discuss what the story means. But again, is there a danger to following after this example? If, if a student goes through the school and says, actually, I'm going to like sell all my stuff and not, uh, follow the worldly path of success. I don't know. I'm, I'm all for that. Would you, yeah. you, you would have no worries of like, are you sure about that? Yeah. Oh, I, for I'm, sure. We would have a, are you sure about that conversation? Not because you want to like, are they doing it because they saw like, hashtag van life on Instagram and thought that sounded great. <laughs> Something they wanted no, to No, because sure. like, they're, 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 it's for the wrong reasons. It's sort of this aspirational, like, I don't want nobody to tell me how to live my life. Uh, I'm going to, you know, th- that's that's sort of the wrong reason. But yeah. if it's um, if it's actually because of um, not only a sanctification of self, but also a life of service, mm-hmm. then yeah. I don't think we, I, I wouldn't. Freshman year, during our very first day of class, when we talk about the reason for education, I reiterate that like if you if you decide to leave this high school and sell everything you own and spend the rest of your life in poverty serving the poor, I will like is that a failing of your education? And they eventually say no, and I'm like, so I don't really care if that's what you do. I will feel as though I have been a success. Did do they start out saying that it, it would be a failure? Like, do they take convincing to come to that position? No, usually they recognize that that is a. Virtuous thing, right? Living, living your life in service of others, even if it means you don't have a big car and a big house. But when you ask them, what is the definition of education? Success is one of the first words that comes up on the board. Yeah. And so I'm like, so clearly success might not mean material goods. It means yeah. something else. That's and good. education must serve something else. And so to prove that, I, I present in front of them this life of servitude that they know is good. Mm-hmm. That usually doesn't take convincing. Yeah. Um, and I like, no, yeah. I like that. So that's... So maybe there are, are levels here. So at one level to say I am free of the need for wealth and the need for luxury is a good. And that is separate from the religious life of St. Francis. So I, that again, that would line up with a classical, which is to say pagan understanding of like a good person is one who is free from slavery to money, wealth, luxury, whatever. So I think at that level, that is a true thing that you can take from Francis's life. But there's a next step to it. Well, the difficulty with kids, with teenagers, is that um, they expect that when we give a example, we mean it as the only example. Yes. So there is the example of the well-lived Christian life of somebody who has the extremes of Francis. Yeah. And then there is somebody who has the well-lived Christian, or the well-lived Christian life who has the extremes of George Mueller. George Mueller is another version of of an extreme kind of, of... believer if you want to put put sure. it in that sort of a stupid way to phrase it yeah. but then there are also examples of the christian life of um that that have more of uh, of a conventional way about their life i'm trying to like like uh i don't know um like it, it, the, the examples don't have to just be um these these um extreme actions of, of radical um poverty sure um, because so then the, the education needs to be one that can f- that can educate and fill up the life of the child who's going to go off and be Francis yes. and fill up the life of the child who's going to go off and be a a good Christian father and husband and small business owner or sure. whatever right in the heart of Texas you know so like sure. there there's uh, um and and then the other and then it also needs to be an education that goes and humanizes the person who is going to go off and be incredibly worldly successful because that's going to happen with some of these kids sure. and um and they need to be they need to be virtuous as well so um so when we hold up the model yeah we don't want to hold it up as like this is the only this is sort of like they they 
for those of you who like like Christianity, this is like how you do it. And those who do don't, it. well, yeah. you know, like just do your own thing. Like no. that's that's helpful. So to say that the example of St. Francis is not only for those who will sell all of their possessions, leave their family, and found a religious order, right? Yeah. His example is not only for them. Even the wealthy person needs to have a right view toward that wealth. Uh, and that's – Francis was still accumulating money, but for the purpose of rebuilding a church. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is helpful. I like this. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. The, the next step I was going to take that to is that I think, again, it's, it's fine to take any of those points away from it. To, again, to be free from being controlled by money is a good thing. But there's a next step of like why Francis himself was actually doing any of this stuff. And that's, uh, I'll, I'll just read the quote. It is the highest and holiest of the paradoxes that the man who really knows he cannot pay his debt will be forever paying it. He will be forever go- giving back what he cannot give back and cannot be expected to give back. He'll be always throwing things away into a bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks. Men who think they are too modern to understand this are in fact too mean to understand it. We are most of us too mean to practice it. We are not generous enough to be ascetics. One might almost say not genial enough to be ascetics. A man must have magnanimity of surrender of which he commonly only catches a glimpse in first love, like a glimpse of our lost Eden. So yes, Francis was free of those desires, but he's also giving it because of something he wanted of he w- when he gave up all of his wealth, he got more in that moment than he gave up. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair way to phrase that? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's an, an, an example of, in that, and this is more a religious point. So I don't know, skip ahead if you don't want to talk about this, but um, to, I, I just think the, the example that's given of sacrifice here is so helpful to see that Francis is not just giving things up because like he should, he's giving things up because what he gets is, is more. He, again, he bursts into song the moment he walks away from everything. Um, and I think that is a model for what, um, we get out of that sacrifice. Um, and we have, we have like secular versions of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like those movies of, the guy who's got the high paying job and he's got all of the, all of the pressures. And then, uh, and then he either gets fired or he has some sort of epiphany and he realizes like the simple life of family is, uh, is what I've wanted all along. Merry Christmas. Right. Like, right. like we have the secular version of that type of, of realization that, Oh my goodness, the game I'm playing or the system that I'm in is not a healthy, happy one. And it's not giving me the life that I wanted. Um, but Francis has the added layer of this, which is, um, um, so the, yeah, in, in those movies, they hold up another good, um, my sort of tongue in cheek reference to being like family. I think of family man, remember the Nicholas Cage mm-hmm. yeah, movie, family man. Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, right. So then the, the idea being that living, living for family, even though it's crazy and chaotic is more meaningful, yeah. but Francis has the ultimate answer, which is the life, the life lived wholly for God. Um, and to giving up everything that sort of hinders that is one that ultimately uh, is fulfilling now and forever yeah no, so like hence that. the bursting into song yeah this this all ties in with what we talked about those two back-to-back episodes of praise and praise of folly and um, discipline were very helpful for me to understand again the point of the discipline episode is that discipline is not an end in and of itself discipline is like toward and for something uh and praise of folly was to one of many points was that um there needs to be some like amount of action in a person. Like you, you must be pulled out of yourself towards something and you're mm-hmm. pulled toward things you want. Does that make like, that's a better motivation mm-hmm. than to say I'm running away from things I don't want. So, Yeah. 
I I think that's similar to the point that you made about the student, right? If the student is giving up everything to because they don't want to be a part of the system anymore and they're tired of everything and they don't like people and they want to be doing like that's maybe not the best reason to sell all your stuff and mm-hmm. and go live on the land. But if you are running towards a life of servitude because you know that's what you want and that all the things that you have are hindering you from this this life of servitude then that's probably a better reason, right? Yeah. yeah, actually, Thomas, we were even talking about this before the podcast started. We do our students a disservice by only painting for them one possibility of the Christian life. Um, and, sure. and we could put as fine a point as we wanted on it. Uh, I'm sure people who have grown up in the same kind of Protestant circles that we've grown up in know sort of what we're talking about when we say there's, the, there's like this Christianese way of expectation of living. Um, and I, I don't even want to get into it, but, um, but I think we do, yeah, we, we do our students and we also do, sort of do the modern church a disservice by saying there's really only one way to live and be Christian, um, in, in your lifetime. Um, uh, so, um, there are other ways, there are other ways to do it, mm-hmm. um, and be faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah. I, Part of me wonders what you mean when you say, I feel like someone could listen to this very easily and say, well, a bunch of relativists sitting around talking about how you can do whatever you want to. No, I mean, I guess the, um, maybe to, to sort of uh, just thinking about um, very basically like uh, uh, intentional communities, mm-hmm. right? Like sure. uh, new monasticism mm-hmm. that sort of propped up and came around the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how it's doing these days, but um, Probably there poorly, was people yes. there was people in our church that I remember in Toronto that um, were successful you know, people who, who, you know, college educated, had sort of, uh, you know, paths to the middle class. And they all sort of said, what we're going to do is we're going to buy houses in a really poor neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We're all going to basically do everything except take a vow. Like we're going to dedicate ourselves to being in there and we're going to be, we're going to take more of a life of poverty living and then establishing roots in a neighborhood in order to live life together. And and that harder road will be sanctifying and will also be a benefit for the city. So there's examples like that. And and I remember being at the time being like, that's hard and that sounds crazy. And I don't want to do that. Um, And, um, and a lot of people sort of looked, sort of said, oh, what's wrong? Oh, like, you're weird. This is a weird way of, like, that's not, you, you don't have to do that. That's not something right. you have to do to not be Christian, is it? Right. You know, that kind of fear. Right. Um, but then to flip that and say, it's a thing, again, Francis did not have to give up his wealth. Mm-hmm. Francis did not have to, um, I guess, disown your father. Is that the right phrase? He didn't have to walk away from all that, mm-hmm. but he did. And he got something out of that. Mm-hmm. It was, it was better for him to have done that than to not have done that to, mm-hmm. to have that open view toward the life he had um and that's that's i think what you're getting at is that we're offered that also mm-hmm. it, it, the, the christian life isn't this like i have to pray i have to read my bible i have to do these things it's we get to know god or right? or maybe it's like there's not just one there's not just like one way to be to live your christian life and you just need to figure it out. And if you don't, you sort of lived a crappier Christian life. Yep. And God's going to be like, here's what you could have done. This would have right. been better. Uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of Christians have the the same fear that people, or the same sort of hesitancy that people have when they start playing like a very long and involves game, like a role-playing game. Like, I want to min-max this thing. Like, I want to have the best optimal path mm-hmm. of playing this game 
that you can have. Whereas like Francis made decisions and about how he was going to live and got God because he was seeking after God. And you could conceive that Francis, if he had sort of kept his wealth and used it to used his wealth to to have an influence for God in the city, and then also decided that he was going to play a long game of of reconciliation with his father. Mm-hmm. Like that could have been a Christian life too. God sure. could have, uh, uh, of you know. Um, so, like the if you were honestly seeking after God, the choose your own adventure li- life is going to have happy and like sure. not happy. You, you may not be happy the whole way through, but it is going to be a, a life of satisfaction and a, a life of um, worth. Let's put it that way. Sure. But what he did did not have to be the only way. It's not the only example for Christians. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has to do what Francis did. Mm-hmm. Is that? I think there is something deeper going on, again, of an, of a, um, an openness with those things, not clinging to what a person has. But that doesn't mean you have to follow the exact sure. choices that he makes. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, we're we're kind of dancing around a quote uh, that Lewis makes. This is these are the opening lines of the weight of glory. Uh, so there's no context you're missing. I promise. If you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Anyway, so there you go for uh, Francis one. Okay, so we will move toward a final story. This is kind of, um, maybe intermission is the story that Graham wants to tell. Is this the story where he goes to Damietta? You can tell that one. And then the final one is his, uh, the stigmata is like, final. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So Damietta, so there was a crusade going on and we're going to be talking about the Crusades in the next podcast. We're going to be tar- starting a series, maybe a p- two-parter on the life of the Templars. Spoilers. A 20-parter? Two-parter. Uh, it's going to be a Plantagenet 25-part well, series. I, we, Plantagenet's ended because King Henry IV is now king, and he's not technically a Plantagenet. Uh, we can do the War of the Roses if you want to. Sure. Um, uh, I do. Well, that oh, okay. great. Seriously. Oh, here yeah. we go. Well, buckle up for blood. Okay. Um, well, but we uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit about the Templars. Yeah. yeah, fair point. And so the Crusades, terrible thing. Right. Um, and there was a siege going on in a city called Damietta, which is right on the coast of, of Egypt on the Mediterranean. And um, so the Templars were there and they were fighting the whoever they were fighting in Egypt at the time. Mm-hmm. And Francis goes mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm going to end the Crusade by converting the Muslims. And so he goes and um, in his poor outfit with his bare feet, he go, he travels all the way to Egypt and he goes to the, the sort of headquarters of the leading, you know, the leading, um, Is that the Saracens? Uh, yeah, the Saracens or whoever, whoever it was, I, I can never keep all of the different, um, Chesterton just calls him the Sultan. Yeah. I can never keep of- all the different, um, uh, sex in, in, um, in 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 uh, my head, mm-hmm. but he goes to whoever was um, the other opposing force in the crusade at the time, and he asks to speak to the sultan, to the head, and his men kind of 
you know, um, um, laughingly say, yeah, sure thing, buddy, come on in. And they let him in. And nice then, clothes, weirdo. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> then Francis gives a, like, a two-day-long impassioned speech about sort of the virtues of, of Christian life. And the Sultan was very conciliatory and mm. was very kind and, you know, treated Francis very well and, and gave him a place to sleep and, mm. and, and listened to him and entertained him. And then when Francis was done, so Francis is like, so, are you in? <laughs> Baptism? Yeah. Huh? And, then, and the Sultan was like, no, thank you. Uh, we'll continue the crusade, and then Francis went home. But just Francis just had in his mind, you know, what? if I just talk to him, yeah. if I just talk to him and present Christ, uh, maybe uh, we can there's end this chance. whole bloodshed. There's a there, there's a chance. Didn't work. Didn't work. Um, but, but hey, um, give it a good college. He try, gave it a right? good college try, what? and it was probably the better way than like what the Templars were doing, which right. was. But also gore. the. The crazy part of the story to me is that Francis was not killed as a part of this. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, but, so, there, you know, uh, <laughs> the way that uh, sort of the tradition has taken hold is that, you know, despite the, the religious difference, there there was still a recognition of Francis, not just his simplicity, but his sort of purity of heart. Sure. And yeah. it's like, why, sh- why do I need to kill this person? Right. Yeah, there's no reason. I mean, what are you going to take from yeah. him? Um, unless he's some hero, anyway. Unless you, or unless you have this You're view killing of killing a hero of the that, opposition, exactly. Right, but yeah. um, but that's not really how. But that, we're, we'll talk about that next podcast because that's that's sort of our popular conception of the Crusades is that it was a war of hatred between religious differences, mm-hmm. and that's not what it was. And, and I mean, if you kill Francis, all you're going to do is like create a martyr for the other side. Yes, I feel like that is the worst decision you could make as a leader, uh, you gain nothing from it. Like he's not leading any troops. He's not, he doesn't have any secrets that you can torture out of him. Mm-hmm. The only thing you do is make everybody really mad because this guy was really nice, right? right? Uh, that's the only possible thing you could do. So hearing him out and then saying, no, thanks, baptism isn't my style seems like a better decision. Sure, makes sense. All right, so that's a story from close to the end of Francis's life. The final big story of his life, I'll read through here. This these next series of quotes might anyway you might hear me quoting for a while uh, subject however to truly sacred doubts I will confess that to me personally this one solitary and indirect report which he's about to say that has come down to us reads very like the report of something real of some of those things that are more real than what we call daily realities even something as it were double and bewildering about the image seems to carry the impression of an experience shaking the senses as does the passage in Revelation about the supernatural creature full of eyes. Okay. It would seem that St. Francis beheld the heavens above him occupied by a, this is okay. Occupied by a vast winged being like, like a seraph spread out like a cross. There seems some mystery about whether the winged figure was itself crucified or in the posture of crucifixion or whether it merely enclosed in its frame of wings, some colossal crucifix, but it seems clear that there were, was some question of the former impression for St. Bonaventura distinctly says that St. Francis doubted now d- doubted how a seraph could be crucified since those awful and ancient principalities were without the infirmity of the passion. St. Bonaventura suggests that the seeming contradiction may have meant that St. Francis was to be crucified as a spirit since he could not be crucified as a man, but whatever the meaning of the vision, the general idea of it is very vivid and overwhelming. St. Francis saw above him, filling the whole heavens, some vast, immemorial, unthinkable power, ancient like the ancient of days, whose calm men had conceived under the forms of winged bulls or monstrous cherubim, and all that winged wonder was in pain like a wounded bird. This ser- this seraphic suffering, as it uh, it is said, pierced his soul with a sword of grief and pity. It may be inferred that some sort of mounting agony accompanied the ecstasy. Finally, 
After some fashion, the apocalypse faded from the sky and the agony within subsided and silence and the natural air filled the morning twilight and settled slowly in the purple chasms and cleft uh, uh, abysses of the, I don't know the name of the mountain, sorry. The head of the solitary sank amid all that relaxation and quiet in which time can drift by with the sense of something ended and complete. And as he stared downward, he saw the marks of nails in his own hands. That's the end of one chapter, the end of the next, the very beginning, just two sentences of the next chapter. The tremendous story of the stigmata of St. Francis, which was the end of the last chapter, was in some sense the end of his life. In a logical sense, it would have been the end even if it had happened at the beginning, but truer traditions refer it to a later date and suggest that his remaining days on the earth had something about them of the lingering of a shadow. So he has this incredible uh, religious experience and then... uh, Crazy vision. Crazy vision. And then it's almost, there's no point to anything else in his life after having seen that. Uh, to have been like to come face to face with again, the ancient of days is the, uh, is the way that Chesterton's describing it there. And then it, and then the, the, the vision manifests itself bodily on him and yeah. he has the wounds of Christ, the wounds of Christ, which is, I mean, kind of crazy. I think kind of crazy is the exact. I mean, that's my reaction to hearing that story. Yeah. Does someone, does maybe you two are too polite to be like, that doesn't sound like a thing that happened. Oh, I, I had to, because this story deserves reverence. I had to keep back the joke I wanted to say at the end of it, which was, I'm not saying it's aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Cause this, like if you've ever watched the history channel thing, they, it's this sort of thing that they pull out and they say, well, what is it he could have possibly seen? And they say it must've been aliens, right? It's, it sounds totally crazy, but I don't know. I I am, we, we've talked about how the, the world itself is a magical place. And the only reason we think it's not magical is because we've gotten too used to the magic that we can plant a seed in the ground and a tree comes forth is total insanity. And, I I try my absolute very best to not disbelieve the magic of the old world simply because I haven't seen it with my own eyes sure. and not remove magic from the world simply because I am incredulous. That's fair. Chesterton, so he presents this story kind of just objectively, says this is a thing that happened, and then explores, AJ, essentially what you just said of, so do we trust this story? Do we trust that this story happened? And his he opened the story with this. It sounds real is one of the thing he says. And another is that he is willing to trust the words of, um, I thought it was Bonaventure, but it says here Bonaventura anyway. Um, so to trust the words of St. Bonaventura in one paragraph, but not trust the words in the next paragraph seems mm-hmm. inconsistent, mm-hmm. right? To yeah. say, you know, this is where he's like telling the truth and this is where he's lying or whatever the right term would be. It's unfair to, uh, mm-hmm. to those saints who are recounting it. And then I'll, this ties in with that. This is a quote from, I think, uh, I think it's the first chapter. It's much earlier in the book, but references this scene. Um, this is when Chesterton was talking about how people have trouble telling the biography of Francis. And this is why these distinguished writers found things like the stigmata, a stumbling block because to them, a religion was a philosophy. It was an impersonal thing. And it is only the most personal passion that provides here an approximate earthly parallel. A man will not roll in the snow for a stream Uh, of tendency by which all things fulfill the law of their being. He will not go without food in the name of something, not ourselves that makes for righteousness. He will do things like this or pretty like this under quite a different impulse. He will do these things when he is in love. Hmm. The first fact to realize about St. Francis is involved with the first fact 
with which the story starts that when he said from the first that he was a troubadour and said later that he was a troubadour of a newer and nobler romance, he was not using a mere metaphor, but understood himself much better than the scholars understand him. Hmm. So this, the, the, what we, again, a thing we've danced around is to say that the deeper point of Francis is that he was driven by a love, a radical love toward the things that um, were important to him. God primarily, obviously, yeah. but um, he was drawn toward things. He was not, um, scared of that wealth and, and had to leave it behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was constantly running before him. Um, and was confident of the, mm-hmm. of receiving, um, the object of his love. So, yeah, that is St. Francis. I, I, I appreciate your focus on sort of a, a spiritual narrative there. there. There are plenty of other, other stories about Francis, right? Of course, yeah, naturally. Yeah, true. There's one where he's preaching and to the animals, right? Or, or, well, there's one where he preaches to the animals. There's another where he's preaching to people and mm-hmm. the birds will not shut up. And so he just says essentially like, hey, can you keep it down? Sure. I'm preaching here. And sure. the birds are silent the rest of the time. Sure. There's another one where there's a wolf that has been harassing a town and eating kids and mm-hmm. stuff and or goats or whatever. You know, he's just, just a, not a great wolf. Right. And so they call Francis in and he goes and he has a sit down chat with the wolf mm-hmm. and just says, Hey man, you got to leave these people Cutting alone. It's right. just not, it's not chill what you're doing. And the wolf never harasses them again. Sure. Which um, is why the Francis at Veritas, our mascot is the wolf. Sure. Yeah. Cause he talked, talked with wolves mm-hmm. yeah. and he used to talk to animals all the time and yeah. seemed to have a easy Congress with them. So. I get, and I guess I probably didn't say that uh, during our previous episode. So the, the animal associated with the house of St. Augustine is the Phoenix. So then this, so then Francis is the wolf. Mm-hmm. So I guess I should mention that when mm-hmm. we go through that too. Good call. Yeah, there are many more stories to tell about Francis. Yeah. Again, the biography, uh, Chesterton writes, the audiobook of it is four and a half hours, and here we spent 53 minutes, mm. and his is a short biography. So yeah. there, there is so much more to tell of the life of St. Francis. This is what, again, my context is in student life and um, pr- putting forward heroes, I mean, first for myself, but then also for the students I work with. And so that's, yeah, the spiritual tradition of Francis is what uh, appeals to me most. I probably should have prefaced with all that. And, and the the city now is beautiful. I mean, it's mostly... Yeah, you've been, right? Tourism, yeah, it's yeah. tourism just around St. Francis and his, his large cathedral there. And it's a fun question to ask. How do you think he would have felt about this massive cathedral is built it, in his name? Is it uh, elegant? Is it... Or is, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Opulent, I Endured, guess. Uh, Endured adorned yeah it is kind of kind of opulent there's a lot of paintings and frescoes and yeah. but it still houses the continuing franciscan order which i think is great yeah and it maintains a city right cc still kind of runs because of a lot of tourism centered around him yeah uh it's a beautiful city with some really nice restaurants so oh. if you want to go and have an incredible view and a really nice uh what was the what was the word that uh Fraticelli? Fraticelli? Mm, mm, yum, yum. Some really nice Fraticelli. No, you don't want to talk about Fraticelli and uh, Cece there. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not a huge um, fan. Speaking of, yeah. what, were, what were the Fraticelli? Do you remember what their yeah. heresy so, was? Uh, so St. Francis had this life of poverty, and he did that, again, because of the good that he had received and he wanted to give back. That was the quote from earlier. Well, the Fraticelli come after Francis's death, and they essentially take that a step further to say, actually property is immoral actually property is bad and no one should have Mm. any of it and so uh i don't know if i don't know if heresy is the right word for it it was um an order that was um i actually don't know what the condemned i I was gonna say excommunicated but i don't actually know if that's anyway i don't uh, they were deemed like not orthodox put down yeah yeah, who's the who's the leader that was it tyler durden yeah that's exactly exactly. right yeah sure but um i thought the fraticelli had some like sexy thing too Probably. Uh, if you read The Name of the Rose by Umberto yeah, yeah. Echo, they talk about the Fraticelli. That's a great book. It's a great mm-hmm. book. Um, the ending is a bummer, but it's kind of the point. 
Um, anyway, the so yeah, they talk about the Fraticelli as a part of that. They, and but the name of the rose is also about the. Um, I guess they were heresy trials because that's they recount them in kind of yep. vivid detail. Um, so anyway, Fraticelli, not good dudes, even though they were kind of based on the ideas of Francis, but they took it yeah. too far. Hmm. Um, Chesterton covers them at the very end um, and says that the Fraticelli. Well, they're like killing. They're like slaughtering what, property owners that, and yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of thing. That's, I mean, that's pretty weird to take yes. uh, a saint's ideas too far. That's, yes. that, that's is that the first time that's happened? yeah, probably the only time. <laughs> the only time ever yeah. I, I don't know if I said this before with Augustine, but Augustine's theology is used to justify the Crusades, which I guess we'll talk about next episode. So anyway, fun all, stuff. Yeah, all these poor saints. Uh, being taken out of context. Why well, I'm proud to be part of Mueller, where he didn't present a theology at all. Yes, so kind of fair. Just yeah. prayed a lot and helped kids. Yeah, so. that's why having done having read his autobiography, I think his will be the hardest episode to spend 50 minutes on. Because oh, like, for sure, man, his autobiography is literally just I needed something, I prayed for it, I got I it, I got it, yeah, delivered over and over it's, again. It's like the Amazon of prayer. It's amazing, <laughs> but it's but it is bonkers. Anyway, we'll get it there. Is. Yeah, it's crazy. The story is great. So, yeah. Anyway, that is a, a, a cool. brief brief introduction to Saint Francis of well, Assisi. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Graham. So this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. If you have any questions or concerns or things you want us to cover or uh, any more submissions to Classical Stuff Bingo, you can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can tweet at us uh, at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff on Twitter. Um, you can find our episodes on classicalstuff.net. And um, Ooh, a quick note, if you are looking for some of our earlier episodes, those can still be found on our website, classicalstuff.net. They, yeah, they have rolled off of iTunes. I think we're starting around episode seven yep, now. Just keep scrolling. And yeah. so it's going to keep on going that way. We can only have about 100 episodes listed, but you can find our early stuff on our website. Cool. It's still there. That is it. Roll, right. roll. Well, and this is the Classical Stuff guys signing off. Signing off. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Bye.